Hello. I feel it's been a long time since I've done a solo episode. But actually thinking about it, it's probably been a week. So not really that long. This week has felt so strange. Like I can't... Every day I wake up and think, what well, must be Friday by now. But equally it's gone very fast as well. A busy week. A very, very busy week. But productive and extremely enjoyable. So we've launched AFM, that sold out in three days, which is like, mm, unbelievable. We are gonna open up again quite shortly. So if you are interested in mentoring, then do head to afmentors.com, put your email in and you'll be emailed as soon as things open up. So today I have a topic, I want to talk about overtraining, but I also have had some thoughts you know, because it's been a whole week since I did a podcast. So I want to share my thoughts and then I'm going to move on to the topic. So something I've been thinking about, and this isn't particularly articulate, but it's been stuck in my head for a little while and, and it's try your best and then no regrets. And I think the reason I was thinking about it quite a lot is trying something new so for me like opening AFM for example it's not something I've done before there was an element of me that was like oh what if no one signs up what if it doesn't work out and you everyone has doubts about everything so I tried to reframe that and I was trying to think you know what's the worst that could happen and also like what would you regret doing and I was like right well I would regret if I hadn't tried my best. And generally, that's kind of true for most things I try. Like the only regret I would really have is that I didn't put enough effort into it. Anything out with that is kind of out of my control. And I think generally, most people pace themselves a little bit too much. So the analogy I like here, because this used to be me when I used to run, is running a 400 meters. So my event was 400 meters. And it is, if if anyone has run a 400 meters before, they'll know what I'm talking about. But if you try and run a 400 meters flat out, like as fast as you possibly can, it is a sprint, but there is an element of pacing in it. Like you will die at 200 meters if you try and run a 400 meters flat out. And part of that's because of the way our energy systems work. So if you're doing max out exercise by about 30 seconds, you will be in lactic hell. And anyone who's done a Wingate cycle test will be able to attest to that. You can't even maintain that level of power for 30 seconds. You fatigue so, so quickly with maximal exercise. So for a 400 meters, you you have to pace yourself, but what most or what many people do and I guess you see this more in like amateur races i.e the races that I was running in is people will leave it too late so they'll come like sprinting through in the last 50 meters because they they didn't really commit at 200 meters and actually that's the first like I love the word commit it's always meant something to me and that's what I used to always tell myself at 200 meters was commit at 200 meters because normally what I do is go out really hard, cruise the back straight, and then 
I would just not commit for that, like from 200 meters to 300 meters, and that's where you would lose the race. Whereas if you can commit there and push there and know that it's going to be quite painful, and yeah, just try and hold on till the end, like that, those are the best races I ran. But if I ever just at 200 meters was a little bit too scared to actually push on, that's when I didn't run particularly well. And when like in the last 50 meters, I would tend to feel like I had a lot left. And those are the races that I would regret. Like I didn't regret the races where I died in the last like 10 meters a little bit, but I did regret the races where I'm like, oh, I could have given more. So now generally something that I try to avoid is waiting too long to kick would be the analogy from running, but limiting yourself now because you're worried about saving yourself for later is essentially what we're talking about here. And I would rather finish the race or finish the workout or finish the AFM launch knowing I'd given it my all, even if by the end I was a little bit burnt out, than looking back and knowing I could have worked harder because that would be the only regret that I would have. And the other point to make here is that pacing is a skill that you learn so like very good runners for example are very good at pacing themselves and they know when to hold back when to kick how much they've got what's left in the tank if you will and I think that's true generally as well like you get better at better at pacing yourself and knowing when you can step it up a little bit however a lot of people don't know that like elite athletes know that because they push themselves to their limits all the time But most of us day to day don't push ourselves to our limits and we actually have no idea where that limit is. And uh, there's something very satisfying about pushing yourself to your limits and you'll usually surprise yourself. So the amount of clients that I've worked with who are like, I might say, right, we're gonna do a set of 10 push-ups and they're like, but I can't do any push-ups. And then I'm like, okay, well, let, let's just give it a go. Let's see how many you can get in. And they do five in a row. And it, it was never lack of ability. It was lack of belief and lack of courage to, to try with the potential to fail. That's usually what it is. You're worried about failing, but you're much more likely to fail. In fact, you've already failed if you don't have the courage to try. And the worst thing or the worst feeling is regret. So not trying is probably the only thing that you're gonna regret. So my point here from this spiel, 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 meh, meh, is try your hard, then no regrets. Try your hard. (laughs) Try your hardest, then no regrets, okay? Right, I'm moving on to the topic. This topic was spurred on by a couple of messages this week, generally what I see in my clients as most of these topics are spurred on by or inspired by. And also a Facebook memory that came up of me training six days a week, which I put on my story and my boyfriend at the time has replied saying, (laughs) which (laughs) I'm not sure which, okay this is what it says which I personally found was the best way to escape all your problems right so I personally found so I feel 
I feel like that's definitely saying that it was the way I escaped all my problems, which is very true. I just said I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, we won't go into that right now, but quite a valid point. And this is really common, not that, just overtraining in general. Back to the overtraining chat. This is a really common problem for people who are into fitness and who enjoy exercise. And overtraining does come up quite a lot. And there is certainly a physiological side to this. And there's also a mindset barrier to reducing your training volume. And that's kind of what I want to help people get over in this podcast. And I think understanding the physiology of exercise will help with your mindset. So to start, I think it's quite useful to define terms. So overtraining occurs when a person exceeds their body's ability to recover from strenuous exercise. Overtraining can be described as a point where a person may have a decrease in performance and a plateauing as a result of failure to consistently perform at a certain level or training load, a load which exceeds their recovery capacity. And this, not all of these things always occur, but some things that can occur with overtraining or training a lot above your ability to recover from that. And again, like if, if you want a very simple definition, that's it. It's, it's training to the point that you're not optimally recovering from your training. And things that can occur with that are poor performance, persistent muscle fatigue, persistent soreness, general fatigue. So just general life fatigue, which I think is actually quite common. And I know is something that I will come on to later, but I didn't realize that I was suffering from because my training was like, my training quality was still quite high and I could get amped up for a session but my general life energy was quite low. Uh, Other things that can occur are elevated heart rate, reduced heart rate variability. So that's one of the key ways, and this is more for, I guess, like elite level athletes, more look at this and monitor their heart rate variability to try and predict if their training load is maybe too high or if their recovery is maybe too low and they're not recovering well enough. But overtraining can also increase your likelihood of infections, likelihood of getting injured. It can also impact your mood. So you're more irritable, you feel lower, can kind of feel quite depressing a lot of the time. Um, Some things here like mental breakdown, clinical depression, like that seems quite extreme, but it, it can exacerbate these things. And then just generally burnout. But what I really mean when I talk about overtraining is just very basically not getting the most out of your training stimulus because you're not recovering from your workouts. And I'm going to broaden that a little bit to the level of training that you're doing, potentially jeopardizing other areas of your life because you're prioritizing training when actually the cost of an extra session is outweighing the benefit that you're gonna get from that. Let's look at some basic exercise physiology or how I want you to look at exercise. And I think we often overcomplicate exercise, but exercise is simply a stress on the body. 
And this stress is a stimulus for adaptation. If you go for a run and your body is not used to running and being under that stress, it will make changes so that the next time you put your body under that stress, it can better cope with that stress. So if you think about exercise as a stimulus and strength, fitness, muscle mass as adaptations to that stimulus. Oh, this is right. Okay. I've just thought of an analogy. I don't know if this works. Right. Okay. If you are making bread, think of exercise as the yeast. So a very important part of the bread making process. That's the part, I think, I think, I think that's the part that makes the bread rise. So really important to the integrity of your loaf. But you also need the right conditions for your loaf of bread to cook. So you need the right temperature. You need it to be cooking for the right time. You need other ingredients. Much like with exercise, you create a stimulus and then you create an environment in which you can adapt. So that requires nutrition, it requires sleep, it requires time. And I think time is something that a lot of people forget. Like you still need time to make these adaptations. So training twice a day is probably not gonna give you enough time for your body to adapt to that stimulus before you're putting it under stress again. Two concepts that I want to introduce here are minimal effective dose and maximum recoverable volume. So your minimal effective dose is the least amount of exercise or the least amount of stimulus that you can give in order to get your desired result. And this is actually probably more effective than you might think. Your maximum recoverable volume is the most exercise you can do and still recover from and adapt to. And the difference in response and outcome from minimal effective dose and maximum recoverable volume is likely less than you think. To prove this point, I've pulled up a study that found that one set to failure with over 80% of your one rep max was as effective as three sets to failure for stimulating improvements in strength. That's right, doing, like this kind of blew my mind when I first read this study, but doing one set was as effective as doing three sets for increasing your strength. And you might be thinking, well, how how on earth is that true? Like surely doing more is gonna get you better results. And I think, and remember this is strength, not hypertrophy, but essentially what's happening is you're saturating the response of that muscle. And you can think of this in another context. So much like how if you eat more and more protein, you don't further stimulate rates of muscle protein synthesis that becomes saturated at a point. And we know that that's probably around 25 grams of 
quality protein but you're probably going to get a little bit more benefit up to about 40 grams but after that you're not seeing much improvement or much increase in rates of muscle protein synthesis because they have been saturated you know when you're at the traffic lights and someone is pressing the button but they'll press it like numerous times and it, right but you've saturated the response of pressing that button you only need to press it once doing it more isn't adding anything to it it's not going to speed up the process that's maybe how you should think about exercise and i say this as as we touched on at the start a person who used to train twice a day most days and was literally spinning my wheels now there's a couple of things here like you don't only train a lot of the time for the physiological response of training. Sometimes you enjoy training or you have slightly other, go- uh, slightly other goals. You have other goals. And if performance is a goal, then, you know, you are going to have to do more than the bare minimum. But I think there are a lot of people who maybe aren't noticing that they're overtraining because they've been doing it for so long and you may feel fine but it's likely that you've maybe forgotten how good you can feel, how much energy you can have. And if you've been under-recovered for potentially years, then you get so accustomed to this low level of energy that that now feels like your new normal. And you, the other problem is you, you won't feel the difference from the first week that you introduce another rest day. And I know that probably a lot of people have tried that and just thought, well, there's no point because I don't feel any difference. It might take weeks of cutting back your training to start feeling different, to start having those higher energy levels, to start experiencing the improved performance from actually recovering from your workouts. And I know that the fear is that you won't be able to maintain your physique if you don't train twice a day, six days a week or whatever load you're doing at the moment. And honestly, my physique got better when I halved my training load, halved my training load. Like that's a huge decrease, but I was able to train harder. I moved more outside of my workouts and I just generally had more energy and I was more excited to get in the gym when I did get in the gym. So a couple of things to consider. Now, obviously, if you are an athlete, this may not apply to you, although it may still apply to you because a lot of athletes overtrain as well. But generally, like this is the person this is for is, I guess, well, my clients who are maybe busy mums and have very stressful jobs and have a lot going on and they're also trying to push themselves to train like an athlete like you're not an athlete you don't have the time the money the time again to optimize your recovery if you're not getting seven eight hours sleep a night and the ability to go and get a massage and do recovery uh training and make sure your diet is exactly on point, then the likelihood is you can't recover from the amount of training volume that elite athletes do. So don't put your body under that stress. And also the likelihood is, if your goal is body composition, 
then you absolutely don't need to be doing that much. And if anything, it's probably going to be a negative to you because training at that load massively ramps up hunger and makes it ridiculously hard to stick to your diet. The other consideration I want you to make is does giving that much time, energy, mental focus, physical energy to training mean that you're jeopardizing other areas of your life and does that align with your values? If you're saying that spending time with your family is the highest priority on your value list but you're trying to get in the gym twice a day, that doesn't add up. Those things don't weigh up. The benefit you're getting from that second gym session is so small, if anything, that that time is far better spent elsewhere. And if you're like, okay, well, I don't have like family commitments at the moment, fine. If you're also trying to grow a business, but you're spending, and I see this all the time with personal trainers, you're trying to grow a business and you're saying you don't have time to invest into that. You don't have time to invest into further learning, but you're training twice a day. That isn't growing your business. That is poorly spent allocation of time. I'm pretty strict with my time and as soon as the benefit of something is reducing drastically, i.e. the law of diminishing returns, I will stop. So I rarely do workouts that last more than 40 minutes. If they do last more than 40 minutes, it's usually because I'm working out with someone and actually that changes things because then I'm not just working out for physical benefit or enjoyment like it well it is enjoyment like it's different enjoyment there's a social aspect there so I understand that exercise isn't always all about creating a stimulus but understanding the cost benefit situation there and how exercise responds in terms of the law of diminishing returns helps you allocate your time better If you're wondering what I'm talking about with cost benefit, then listen to episode 180. That's a really useful podcast to listen to and to apply to your life for making better decisions around how you spend your time. And making decisions around how you spend your time is effectively making decisions about how you spend your life. So the ability to do that well and in line with what's important to you is a pretty great skill to have and that's a tool that you can use to make sure that you're allocating time in a way that aligns with how you want to live your life and if you're wondering what i mean by the law of diminishing returns the 80 20 principle certainly applies to exercise so by that i mean you're likely getting 80 percent of the benefit from the first 20% of your training volume, especially if you're someone who is trying to work out for one to two hours, six times a week, you don't need to be doing that much. And the extra that you're doing over and above that first sort of like 20% of that, like the first, I don't know, three sessions or so that you do a week is so marginal compared to the time and effort that you're putting into it like the cost isn't worth the benefit the squeeze is not worth the juice if you will but what i want uh, what whoa whoa wow wow we were what i do want to be clear about here is i'm not saying there are non-existent returns to doing more than like four sessions a week 
I'm just saying those returns diminish and that changes the cost benefit ratio. So for example, if you're allocating your time, I don't think there's anywhere you could allocate it better than the first one hour of exercise you do a week in terms of your benefits to health. There's nothing you could do better with that time. But as you do more and more and more exercise, the benefits you're getting are less and less and less, which means that that time may be better spent elsewhere. A good way to think of diminishing returns might be something like the joy, the enjoyment that you get from the first bite of a biscuit or your first biscuit is going to be way higher than the enjoyment you get from your 10th biscuit. But that's not to say that you might still enjoy your 10th biscuit, but it's not going to be as great as your first biscuit. Hopefully that kind of makes sense. And to finish this off, I just want to say, recovery is as important as training in terms of your results. And if you don't recover well, you will end up with a yeasty mess instead of a beautiful loaf of bread. There. I don't think it could be put any clearer than that. I hope this podcast has been useful. And if you have enjoyed it, please do share it, tag me, show me your best loaf of bread. Um, And if you do enjoy the podcast in general, please do give it a like and a share and all of the good stuff. That would be amazing. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Oh, and if this is something that you struggle with, this is something that we've worked through with a lot of people on Commit to Six. And I'm not just saying this, but Andy is phenomenal at this. So good, helped me massively. And again, not just saying this, but my physique improved incredibly. And he's had someone on the last Commit to Six whose physique, I mean, she was already really lean, but she's grown so much, which I wouldn't have expected from someone who's very lean, but by dropping her training volume, actually fueling her workouts, it's a pretty incredible difference actually. So yes, if you're interested in that, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. You can apply for the next intake of Commit to Six or Andy does have some one-to-one coaching options available. So apply on the website and I can put you in touch.